Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Crime, Tea and Me. I'm your host Charlotte. Here on Crime, Tea and Me I sit down with a nice cuppa and sometimes some biscuits and talk about all things crime. From murders to bank robberies and everything in between. So grab yourself a nice cuppa and come and join me. Firstly, I would like to say I am very sorry that I've been away from here for a while. My day job gets very, very, very busy around Christmas, but I am back now and I have some amazing episodes planned, so there will be lots for you to look forward to. So on today's episode, we are going to look at the Hatton Garden robbery. On the 7th of April 2015, after a long bank holiday weekend, staff at the Hatton Garden Safe Deposit Limited Company came back to work. They went in like usual, unset the alarm and got into the lift to go down to the vaults. The lift doors opened and they found that the safe had been broken into and that there was a really strong smell of bleach in the air. At 8am, they called the police and informed them that there had been a robbery. Hatton Garden is in the borough of Camden in London and it is a really popular location for jewellers. The Hatton Garden safe deposit was created as a place for the jewellers to keep their really high priced items and money and any other valuables that they had. It was a very safe place. Each person would get the key to their individual boxes and they'd be able to access them before they opened so that they could stock their stores up ready for the customers. They had 999 boxes and it was really popular because it was meant to be extremely safe. When the news broke, many of the jewellers of Hatton Garden ended up finding their way to the safe deposit box. They were met by police and not really a lot of information was given out to them. Eventually, a lot of the jewellers ended up closing their businesses, they went bankrupt, they lost pensions, everything. These people just, yeah, their whole lives revolved around what was in those boxes. And they had lost it all. The media started making false accusations about who the robbers were. Some said that they were ex-military or some European gangs that had come over and got what they needed and left already. But the truth was a little bit closer to home. And trust me, you would have never guessed who could have done this. Like, I remember when this happened and remember seeing who had done it and I was like, what? The police started their search by looking at the CCTV from around the area and on the few days running up to when the robbery was discovered. Sadly, because of the bank holiday, the safe had been locked up on the Thursday night and the staff had gone home and the next time that anyone was in the building would have been the Tuesday when they came back in. So what had happened? Well, from the CCTV, the police found that at 8.20pm on Thursday the 2nd of April, a white van approached the building. Shortly after, two men in high-vis jackets were seen walking up to the vault's front door. They couldn't get in, so they walked off around the back. Then another man, carrying a really big bag over his left shoulder, which was the one that was closest to the cameras, so you couldn't really see in his face or anything, he walked up. He had a key to the front door, he let himself in, and went to the back of the building, opened the doors there and let the two men in the high-vis jackets and two other men into the building. At 8am on the Friday morning, the men were seen leaving, but they didn't have anything with them. They got into a white van that was parked next to the vaults and they left. On the Saturday, which was the 4th of April, the gang came back. 
this time they saw one man get out of the white van walk into the building that was opposite it and he didn't come out they then saw three men who went back into the vault sunday morning the footage shows that the man from the building that was opposite walks out of the building walks to the van gets in and waits in the van the three men that went into the vault then come out pushing wheelie bins and obviously this is where all of the the stolen goods were put they put the wheelie bins into the back of the van and they were gone some of the footage that the police managed to get hold of was from inside the building itself this was by the front door where the alarm was they saw a man come in who had his face fully covered he had a hat on and he was able to disarm the alarm and then they saw other gang members come in they were wearing dark clothes apart from the two guys that had those high-vis jackets on and they had either hard hats on or like dark caps and then they had face masks on unfortunately the media managed to get a hold of some of the footage and they took screenshots of them and plastered them all over their front pages. And this was devastating for the police because if you were a robber and you saw that your picture was all over the newspapers, you'd just get rid of all your clothes. Like, right, I was wearing that, I was wearing that, I was wearing that. Right, let's just get rid of them. So then if they found the robbers and then didn't find the jewels for some reason, they didn't have any evidence to prove that these guys were them. So I think that was a really big mistake on the papers. Like, why why do that? Like, I get that it's like freedom of the press and stuff. But why? You're, all you're doing is interrupting a police investigation. Like, what, what are you doing with your life? Seriously. The police managed to look into the rental of the white van. And they found out that it was hired under a fake name. And even though they managed to track the van through cctv they lost the van somewhere in enfield and it was never seen again on the saturday night a couple of hours before the gang arrived though the police saw the two men that were in the high-vis jackets they walked to the building couldn't get in walked to the back of the building and they ended up getting into a white mercedes so the police tracked this car using ANPR, which is automatic number plate recognition, and they traced it to an estate in North London. So the police set out some surveillance on it. They were getting the registration checked and things, and it came back that it was owned by a man called John Ken Collins. He is known to his friends as Kenny Collins, so that's what I'm going to refer to him as, Kenny. He was a 74-year-old man. Kenny had a very long police record and it dated way back. Like, yeah, he th this is pretty much all this guy had ever done, been a criminal. He was identified as the man who had actually driven the, the white van. So he was the guy that had gone into the building that was opposite the vaults. And the police were like, right, we're going to just get him surveillance around the clock. Any person that he met with was tracked and checked like their records and things like that. And eventually on the 17th of April, Kenny went for a coffee with someone. Now, if you were walking past these guys in the street, you wouldn't even think twice about it. Just two blokes having a coffee. But some of the older police officers saw who Kenny was having a coffee with and knew him immediately. His name was Brian Reader and he was 76 years old. Are we seeing a pattern yet? 
at all anyone <laughs> 74 76 like yeah it's mad so brian reader had a major prison record and that is actually where brian and kenny met in prison Brian had been involved in a £26 million gold robbery in 1983. And when the police eventually found him, he was stood next to the body of a police officer. So they arrested him and charged him with the robbery and with stabbing and killing the police officer. He was later found not guilty of killing the police officer, but he was found guilty of the robbery, so he was sent to prison. So once again, they went back to the cctv footage from the thursday night and they identified brian reader on there but they looked on saturday night and he wasn't there which is a bit weird on the first of may kenny brian and terence were followed to a pub and this time the police managed to sit right next to them and also get some footage of them talking on the 23rd of April, the police appeared on the TV show Crime Watch, asking the public for help to identify any of the men that were involved. They showed the footage, which of course most people had already seen from the papers, and also offered a £20,000 reward for any information. The next day, still being followed by police, Kenny went to a pub in North London where he met up with two other men. The police later identified them as Terence Perkins and Daniel Jones. Terence had been very well known to the police. He was involved in the 1983 Security Express robbery. Security Express was a company where if you work in a shop or a bookies or a supermarket or anywhere that deals with money, they would come into the shop, take the money for, for you, and they would take it back to the headwaters and then take it to the bank for you, so it's a little bit more safer. But in 1983, Terence decided to rob their headquarters, which is in Shoreditch in London, and he got away with £6 million. Didn't get very far, though, because he ended up with 22 years in prison. So, yeah, not very successful. Daniel, on the other hand, was known as a career criminal. So his sole purpose in life was to be a criminal. All of the men were then put under surveillance, and they also had their movements up to and around the days of the robbery, Daniel was seen in a local tool company buying something called an acro pump. This would be a huge piece of evidence for the police because Daniel, you know, because he's a career criminal, he's really smart, decided that he was going to use his real name at this tool company. Not just that, he also let them take a picture of him for their records. Seriously, like, come on, think about it, Daniel. Just be smart. Now, because the noise in the pub and things, you can't really hear what they're talking about. So the police hired a lip reader to do a transcript of the conversation for them. And the transcript included a mention of the men taking a pump, but that it broke and that they had to get a new one. 
The evidence from the transcript allowed the police to go to a judge and he said that they were able to bug all of the men that were involved. And during this process, another name came up and his name is Carl Wood. He had a very big previous record for theft and burglary. And he had also been with the gang on the Thursday night because they saw him on the CCTV. But when he arrived on the Saturday, he saw that there were some lights on in the building opposite it. And it kind of spooked him because he thought that they were like that someone was onto them. And he freaked out and left. <laughs> the bugging also showed the full story of what happened. The men spoke about another guy called Basil, who was the person who had turned off the alarm and got the key, the gang into the building. He also had the key for the door. They heard that Brian had planned the entire thing, that he had planned to use an acro pump to push the security boxes away from the wall and that would the force would obviously break them open or just make them easier to be broken up into. But when they finally got there, they found out that the boxes were actually bolted to the ceiling, so the pump didn't work as well. And that's why on the Friday, they left with nothing. This being Brian's, you know, job sort of thing, he, you know, he's a criminal. He knows exactly what he's doing. And from his experience, he knew if something goes wrong, don't go back again, because that's how you're going to get caught. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You just have to deal with your losses and go with it, really. So the reason that Brian wasn't on the, the tapes from Saturdays, because he didn't go back, it spooked him. He knew that the plan wasn't working, so why risk being caught? And that is why Daniel went to get a new pump on the on the Friday. The tapes also showed that there was starting to be a bit of a rift in the gang. Brian, being the one who planned it, he wanted his share of the goods. Without him, none of this would have happened, you know, none of the guys would be involved at all, and he wanted his share. But both Terence and Daniel were saying that he didn't deserve it because he didn't actually, you know, he wasn't involved in the robbery. Like, the day he went, they didn't get anything, so... Why should he now get something? Carl also wanted his share, but they thought exactly the same thing. Like, mate, you didn't even come, so why? why? Why should we give you money and jewels and everything else if you didn't help us? So with Carl, Brian, Kenny, Terence and Daniel, the police had five of the six men. They knew what happened. They knew how it happened. But what they didn't know is who was Basil and where was the loot? Daniel hid his in Edmorton Cemetery. Then Kenny went home with his. When he got home, his brother-in-law came round randomly and Kenny decided it would be probably a better idea if he gave the bag to his brother-in-law because how else would he explain it to his wife? So Kenny's brother-in-law has the bag full of the goods and then what happens he goes on holiday and decides it would be a good idea not to give the bag back to K 
penny. Oh, no, no, no. That's too simple. So he decides to give it to someone else to keep a hold of. This next bit, honestly, when I heard it, I was like, no, no. No, it sounds like it'd been written for like a movie. But no, this next bit actually happened. Daniel and Terence found out what Kenny had done and they were not happy. They ended up trying to double cross the rest of the gang and they wanted to basically keep everything for themselves. Little did they know that the police were listening in this entire time thanks to those little bugs. The police organised a raid on Terence's daughter's house and they also decided to raid 12 other houses. Terence decided that he was going to send his daughter and her family on a holiday. So he would tell her, oh, I'll look after your house, don't worry. And the plan was to get everything that they stole, go round to her house and divvy it up, basically. The robbery was estimated to have been worth £14 million. And that was in money, jewels and other things. When Terence, Kenny and Daniel got there, the police charged in and arrested them. At the same time, they also arrested Brian and Carl, but when they were questioned, none of the men answered any questions at all. But you can't really, like, fight the evidence and deny it, considering how much they had. So it wasn't just, you know, like, the recordings and things. They now had all of, well, not all of, but, you know, some of the jewellery that was stolen, and, yeah, you just, you can't deny evidence. (laughs) what seriously just give it back to Kenny well it turned out that because of the bank holiday weekend Kenny's wife had gone away so he was the only one in the house so Kenny and Daniel decided to take half the loot each but the police only managed to recover about 4.6 million from these raids also something that I think is really funny is that in someone's house that they raided They found a copy of Forensics for Dummies, which gave them the idea to put the bleach all over the vault to destroy any DNA evidence that the police could use. But I just love the fact that, like, a police officer would walk in and be like, oh, guys, guess what I found? Like, yeah. (laughs) Brian, Kenny, Terence and Daniel all pleaded guilty. Brian got six years and three months and the rest got seven years. The press were constantly talking about the ages of the men, since a lot of them were in their 70s. The police went back to the beginning of the case. They looked at every single person, again, from the surveillance videos. Carl got six years, and Kenny's brother-in-law got seven years for handling stolen goods. They went through everything, phone calls, messages, and they, they couldn't find anything, apart from one man that kind of stuck out. He had met Kenny not too long after the robbery. He had no phone, no bank account, no job. He was like completely off the grid. And his name was Michael Seed. The police watched Michael for about two years. And they saw that he was really good with computers. Which was good because obviously Basil was the one that ended up turning off the alarm system. He was also around about the same build as Basil. A big factor to matching Michael to being Basil was body language because Basil and Michael both had the same distinctive walk. But one question remained unanswered. Who the hell was Basil? 
So they eventually got the right to arrest him. They burst into his room. They found gold bars, a gold smelter for melting down gold, and about £150,000 worth of gold and jewellery. He was arrested, but just like the others, he didn't say a single thing during the interview. The difference between him and the others was, though, he pleaded not guilty. And when he was found guilty, he was given a longer sentence. Michael Seed went to prison for 10 years. If you want to find out anything else about this case, or you're just really interested and you want to find out more, there's a few things that I would suggest. The first is a really, really good show by Ross Kemp. And you can watch that on YouTube. There's also a TV show called Hatton Garden. And there's also an absolutely amazing film called King of Thieves with none other than the absolutely brilliant Michael Caine, which I really want to say in a London accent, but I'm not going to embarrass myself. Ray Winston and Jim Broadbent. And I honestly highly recommend watching them. So what do you think of the robbery? Do you agree that Daniel was a complete idiot for giving his real name? What do you think you would have done differently? I know for me, if I, you know, were to do anything like this, I wouldn't. You know, I'm, I'm, if, if I did anyway, I'd just give myself away right now. But I would get it all together and then be like, right, no one talk to me. If you see me on the street, do not acknowledge me. I am not being, you know, linked with any single one of you, blah, blah, blah. I would, you know, I'd go completely good fellas on them. Like, I'm not buying big expensive things. I'm not going OTT with the money. Nothing. (laughs) If you want to catch up on all the latest episodes, then all you need to do is hit that little follow button and keep your ears peeled for some amazing new episodes. I am going to be uploading every single Monday. So there'll be a fresh episode for you all week. (laughs) And in between then, if you want to chat to me or anything like that, you can follow me on Instagram at Crime Tea and Me. So till then, see you later, guys. And thank you so much for watching Crime Tea and Me with Timothy Spall. For any of you Harry Potter fans out there, that is Peter Pettigrew. Ah.